0: Brothers and sisters, we're going to be out of Matthew chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, let's turn to Matthew 18. As usual, I'll be reading of the NASB version. And just give a little context as you turn to Matthew 18, verse 10. Matthew 18 is about addressing sin in the church. Matthew 18 calls Christians little ones or children of God. Matthew 18 gives us Jesus' first instruction how to care for his church. Last week we talked about how Jesus will build his church upon the rock of truth of who he is. The bedrock of truth of who he is. So Matthew 18 tells us how to care for his precious church. So Matthew 18 verse 10, please rise if you're able to. And we do this to honor God and honor His word. Okay, so Matthew 18, verse 10, God's word says this See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 12, verse 11 was a late add on that scholars agree was not in the original manuscript, but is a true. Is the truth taught out of Luke, but we'll jump down to verse 12. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that, the, that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than all over the 99 which have not gone astray. Verse 14, so it is not the, not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. Verse 15, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses, listen even to the church. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. and Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that you may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Verse 20, finishing up. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you care for us so much. I pray, Lord, that your word will be preached with power and conviction by the power of your Holy Spirit, and your Holy Spirit would allow our ears to hear, eyes to see. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Sin is the enemy to discipleship. This is Discipleship Sunday, but discipleship is an everyday thing. It is a way of life at Evergreen and in any true church, really. And so sin is the enemy, number one enemy, to discipleship. Sin disrupts fellowship. Sin keeps relationships from going deeper. Sin keeps everything at a surface level. Sin isolates brothers and sisters. Sin retards Christian growth or sanctification or edification. This is what discipleship is all about. Sin destroys our witness to a watching world. We look like hypocrites when we're sinning and saying one thing and living in another way. Sin cripples our usefulness to the Lord. Sin chokes out love for the Lord and for one another. Sin disrupts our fellowship with Christ. Serious business. Serious business. And this is where our Lord communicates to us how to care for his church. Now, let me just say this ahead of time. If you are in Christ, your true disciple, our eternity is sealed. We are going to be with him in eternity and in glory. But what's at stake right now is your effectiveness and your witness to a dying world, to the mission field. And for one another. Sin will retard that. Sin could actually cause you to forfeit your witness and your effectiveness to the Lord. Our place in heaven as children of God is never in jeopardy to those of us truly in Christ. But what's at stake is something huge as well as our effectiveness while we're on this earth. I want to give a little testimony. When I first became a pastor, my mind and my eyes and my heart were drawn to the pastoral epistles. That's Timothy 1, Timothy 2, and Titus. These these are known as the pastoral epistles. I wanted to hear what the Lord had to say about what it means to be a pastor. So I'm scouring through the scriptures. I'm reading the scriptures. I'm learning, Lord, how am I called to be a pastor? What am I called to do? And another verse that really struck me was that Hebrews 13, 17. And I've read it before to our church family. But I want to read it again. This this verse haunts me, haunts me in a good way. It's a very sobering reminder of how serious my calling is as, as a pastor of a church. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they keep watch over your souls as those who are given an account. The Lord will hold me accountable to how I shepherded the church family. Actually, the Lord will hold every church leader on how he or she watched over the souls of his church. Brothers, if you're, if you're a husband, God will hold you accountable for how you shepherded and watched over the soul of your wife. Dads, God will hold us accountable to how we shepherded the little ones. Those sets of eyes that are looking back at us, no matter if they're ba- newborn babies like Adina or grown adults how we've watched over their souls. This is a serious calling. Our Lord, the head of the church, will settle accounts with us and let us know how we did. So this is a very sobering reminder. And providentially, the Lord had it when I started ministry here three years ago vocationally, that I was confronted immediately with sin. Sin in our church. There were divisive people Various issues. There are rebellious people. There are people just caught in sin. And I was thinking to myself, I just got here. Can I just make friends and have the people like me a little bit before we go into these deep conversations? It's as if the Lord was just testing me. And, and this thought came to mind how serious are you, Rocky, about pastoring my people, shepherding my people? And as if there was this line drawn in my heart. Choose you this day. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve me, the head of the church? Or are you going to serve man in your own, and in your own selfishness? Which one, Rocky? You don't get to choose. In Being in the middle, you have to choose one or the other. And so Jesus was giving me a seminary immediately. And I've, I've taken uh, uh, formal education for theological training, which is important. But Jesus was giving me a different type of seminary. How serious am I about caring for the church family? And it's so serious that Jesus makes this his first instruction, how to confront sin in the church to, amongst brothers and sisters. You know, this is, this is how important it is. This is how critical this is that we understand this as a church family so we're able to be obedient and care for his church family uh, responsibly. So today we're talking about church discipline. And at Evergreen SGV, we decided to call church discipline church restoration because that's what we're about. As Pastor Dan talked about, we want to restore our brothers and sisters to full usefulness, to feel full beauty, to, feel, to glorify God as much as possible. And this is what we're about at Evergreen, church restoration. And some helpful books, if you're into books, it's been a couple of these Nine Marks books. Nine Marks is a ministry head up by a pastor named Mark Dever. And here's one book by Jonathan Lehman, who authored this book called Church Discipline. It's a handy-sized book, readable, easily accessible. This has been helpful to help me to kind of learn more about what church discipline is about. Here's another handy-sized book by Mark Dever. Uh, Nine Marks, which is called What is a Healthy Church? Marks of a Healthy Church, which talks about church membership, which talks about preaching, which talks about church discipline. So if you're interested in learning more, check out these Nine Marks books. But this is an important topic, and this is why Jesus makes this his first instruction to the church. The Reformers, as we, if you remember from last week's sermon, said church discipline is one of the marks of a true church. And so today, we're going to cover some of these points. And this is going to be a two-part series as I study this more, because there's no way I could get all this covered in one week. But the four points, if you're a good note-taker, I'm going to just give it to you ahead of time. And I'm going to give you the four points that we're going to cover today and, and next Lord's Day. First point is the heaviness of church restoration. The heaviness of church restoration. Point number two is the heart of church restoration. What is the heart behind what? About church restoration. Point number three, which we'll cover in part today, is the how of church restoration. How are we called to do it? And point number four is the heavenly backing of church restoration. We'll cover most of point three and point four next week. Today, we'll primarily cover point one and two in the first part of uh, point number three. So, church restoration is critical to our Lord. So, let's get right to it. First point church restoration. The heaviness of church restoration. The heaviness of church restoration. Verse 10 reads this, the first part. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. Jesus uses his term, one of these little ones. In context, Matthew 18, little ones are children of God. These are Christians. When Jesus says these little ones, he's referring to children. Children. In verse 2 of chapter 18, he brings a little child to his lap and makes an object lesson. Pretty much how Pastor Dan used the wooden bench to make a, uh, give a lesson to the children. He sits a child, maybe even in Peter's home in Capernaum, in northern Israel, in Galilee, and sits him at his, at his lap perhaps and says, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to have faith like a child. You have to be humble like a child if you want to be great. And he even talks about Receive Anyone who receives a child in my name receives me. These are, these are Christians. No matter how old you are you, young or old, you've been a Christian for a month to 50 years or 70 years. This is all of them, whether you're rich or poor, black or white, Asian, or not, man or woman, these are all Christians. When, he, when Jesus says one of these little ones, he's talking about Christians, any true believer. And he sets the tone for the seriousness of church restoration. There's a heaviness and a seriousness to it. And then he, as he says in verse 10, since these little ones are so precious to me, do not despise them. Do not despise them. Make sure, see that you do not despise any of these little ones despise in a word means look down upon or have low regard for. Jesus is elevating the value of a Christian. He's setting it setting us where we belong. And how precious are each one of these little ones verse 10 says their angels there as an ownership their angels in heaven continually see the face of my father who is in heaven. What? We have angels? You want to learn a little bit about angels? Yeah. Hebrews 1.14 says angels are ministering spirits to serve Christians, to serve the church. I don't know if we have a guardian angel per se, like I have a specific angel just watching over me. You know, some of us may have been taught that. But there are angels. God sends his holy angels from heaven to watch over his church. You can see some of these things in the Old Testament. Hebrews 1.14 says that angels are ministering spirits to serve Christians. And they answer to God. How's Rocky doing? They they report back to the Father. Critical. Every single one of these are precious to God. Every single one of you and me are precious to God. Now this makes a lot of sense in verse 6 of Matthew 18 if you have your Bibles there. It says this, that it will be better if a millstone <coughs> were hung around somebody's neck and thrown into the deepest part of the ocean, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, what a warning! Leaders, anyone who has influence who causes other Christians to sin, Jesus makes a huge warning that it's better if you were thrown into the ocean with a big stone tied around your neck. What? Ephesians 1.5 says that we were chosen before the foundations of the earth. We were predestined to be adopted as children. This is how much God loves us. We are chosen before you and I were formed in our mama's wombs. God knew you beforehand. God chose you beforehand. You've always been precious in God's sight. Matthew 10:30 says that every hair on our head is counted by God. God knows how much how many hair strands of hair we have in our head. He knows us. He knows you. He cares for you. The Bible says in Peter that we are purchased by the blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ. Christians have the utmost value. We're made in the image of God. And on top of that, we've been purchased, bought by the blood of Christ. We are very precious. So when Jesus says, do not despise these little ones, critical that we heed his words, that we do not despise any Christian. We value Christians, other brothers and sisters in Christ. So how do we despise one of these little ones? So you, Pastor, tell me. This is important. I don't want to defy what our Lord is saying. Well, a loving father corrects his children. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11 talks about how a loving father corrects corrects his children, disciplines his children. Any parent will understand this. If you love your children, you will correct them from waywardness. You won't allow them just to live life and say whatever they want. You help them. We help them. Any mother knows this, that a good loving mother corrects their sons and daughters. And the Bible even says that if if God doesn't correct you, you might be an illegitimate child. You may not actually be a son or a daughter of God if you don't have any discipline in your life. And as Hebrews 12, verse 11 says that through discipline, the fruit of righteousness is birthed. There's a purpose why we discipline our children. There's a purpose why God disciplines his children. The fruit of righteousness. So a loving father takes care of, of his children. He disciplines them. He corrects them out of love to execute his divine calling. And this is what God has modeled for us, and this is what we try to do for our own children. So how do we despise these little ones? Well, number one, if we're indifferent towards those who are caught in sin, meaning we don't do anything about it. You see a brother or sister that you're in fellowship with that you know, you've seen with your eyes and heard with your ears like what they're saying, and you just kind of let it go. That means that you're enabling them. You're actually being permissive to these things. You're despising these little ones. Another way we could despise these little ones is by being judgmental to, th- to those who are in sin. Take a prideful approach and say, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you struggling with that sin? In some ways, we keep arm's length with people like that. We give them the Heisman. We keep them, we keep them at arm's length. We don't want to get close to them because we're kind of looking down. That is despising little ones. We actually abandon them. We may be around them, but we're not really getting very close to them anymore. It is a heavy charge, brothers and sisters. Every single brother and sister in Christ matters to our Lord. This is a weighty and heavy charge that we've been called to, to get involved with church restoration. Every Christian matters. Every Christian matters. Point number two, Jesus illustrates this and gives us the what the heart of restoration is about. So, point number two is the heart of church restoration. And so keep in mind, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's training them. He's training them how and what to do. And so he gives them a picture. He gives them a story on how to understand what church restoration is about. Verse 12 talks about this. He goes, what do you think? Jesus asked them. A master teacher is always able to have the students think about it themselves and come up with a conclusion so that they own their response. Jesus is training his disciples. If any man has a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray. Does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go ahead and search for the one that is straying? A question mark. This is a scenario. Even going back to Israel in 2018, in northern Israel, where he was preaching to the disciples, there are a lot of rolling hills. There are, I saw shepherds walking their flock down the street. You could see shepherds and their flock off in the distance. They're still around today. And undoubtedly, as Jesus is telling this story, there's probably shepherds and sheep, uh, sheep around him as he's speaking. And he basically says there's a shepherd that has 100 sheep. So this shepherd has very good knowledge of every single sheep. He knows who they are, they're all numbered. And all of a sudden, he notices one of them's missing. And he's so intimate with these sheep that he probably gives them name. and goes, Where's Smoggy? Any of you other shepherds, have you seen Smoggy? There's only 99. I don't see Smoggy, though. He must be missing. The shepherds had close, intimate relationship with the sheep. He Oftentimes, he hung out with them all day. He fed them all day. At times, he would be sleeping with them because he is their shepherd. And the good shepherd loves his sheep. And children, if you're at home, at our home, we have Tupperware full uh, and drawer full of Legos, hundreds of Legos. But quite honestly, Pastor Rocky does not know how many yellow Legos and black Legos and white Legos and clear Legos and all the little accessory Legos. I don't know how many of those we have. We have Star Wars sets that have been mixed in with uh, 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 build-it sets and all kinds of things. Only time I'm, I, I notice one is missing when I step on it one because it hurt. And I, I'm sure your parents know what I'm talking about. The Good Shepherd is different. He knows every single sheep that he has. Our Lord knows how many sheep he has. Our Lord cares and knows if you have been straying. He notices. It's the good shepherd to to take care, the good shepherd's responsibility to take care of the sheep from dangers. Out in the field, even today, if you go back to Israel, you see cliffs. You see rivers. The Jordan River starts up in, in northern Israel. There's poisonous plants where the the sheep may chew on and get sick. There are still wolves. Even in my neighborhood, there's like coyote and things coming down from from the mountains these days. There are wolves and predators and thieves that exist today. That's why the shepherd needs to be on guard to make sure his sheep are doing okay. And so what is the heart of church restoration, brothers and sisters? It's a rescue mission. It's about rescuing our brothers and sisters from the pains and consequences of sin. It's a rescue mission. That is the heart of what church restoration is about. Jesus tells us this beautiful story, and he's training his disciples that we're part of the rescue mission. God actually uses us to help those who are in sin come out of it. So he asks, what do you think? In other words, what would you do, Disciples. Own it. Own your decision, disciples. Church family, what do you think? What would you do? Every sheep represented here is, are the little ones. They're Christians. What would you do if you noticed one of the little ones, one of the sheep straying from the fold? And there's a hundred sheep. And in the original group, And the 99 other sheep, you know what they're doing? They're eating together. They're touching each other. They're hearing each other. They're fellowshipping one. They're close. Have you noticed any brothers or sisters that's kind of strayed away from the flock? Have you noticed any brothers or sisters who get a little bit more shallow now in their conversations? Have you noticed any brothers or sisters who are kind of a little more distant, a little bit more mysterious? Have you noticed any brothers or sisters who seem a little bit more isolated? That's what sin does. Sin isolates brothers and sisters, keeps sheep away from the rest of the flock. That's what Satan wants. Satan wants to isolate us. And this word gone astray in the original language, planau, means to be led astray or deceived or lost. Deceived by what? Deceived by sin and or false teachers. Just like Peter was... Lost for a moment, right? In John 21, remember how Jesus had to go after him? He was lost in his own guilt and shame and he, started, he isolated himself. He got away from the Lord. And Jesus comes after him lovingly as the Good Shepherd. He models to the disciples what it's all about. And then Jesus says, Does he not leave the 99? Would you leave the 99? Would you leave your comforts and go after other sheep? Would you do that? Verse 13 talks about there's a great reward. If it turns out that he finds it, if it turns out that he finds it, truly a Savior, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 which have not gone astray. There's an incredible celebration in heaven and amongst the brotherhood who know what took place. There's a great celebration. Jesus wants to bring sinning believers back into the fold. He doesn't want you to be in isolation. He doesn't want you to be stuck in your own thoughts. He doesn't want having you to play out that narrative to explain to others why you're not involved as much anymore. He doesn't want that. In verse 14, it says, So, that, so it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish? Jesus is the good shepherd. In John 10, it says that he holds his sheep in his arms. John 10 also says that the Father holds the sheep in his arms and no one, nothing can snatch him out of the father's arms. He holds us high and tight. The father secures us. The father's heart is to see every sheep restored. And what the Lord, the head of the church, has done is this. He's commissioned all of us to be on this rescue mission with him. He's called us to get out of the flock, get out of our comfort zone, to go after sinning sheep. John Piper, he's a pastor, a preacher, an author. He heads up a ministry called Desiring God. He says this, You are God's appointed means to keep your brother or sister from falling into sin. God uses us to help one another, to care for one another. And, and this is important that we understand is this. this is not just the pastor. This is not just one of the church leaders. This is all of us. No matter how young or old we are, we're called to be part of this mission, this rescue mission. And now Jesus tells us how. Third point, the how of church restoration. The how of church restoration. Today, we'll just cover uh, the first step in church restoration. And then we'll continue on next week. First instruction to their church, verse 15, says this. If your brother sins, let's just stop right there. If your brother sins, your brother, sister, little ones, any child of God sins. These are fellow Christians. What type of sin are we talking about? Do you see your brother or sister trapped in a pattern of sin? Do you see this? Have you observed with your eyes and your own ears this sin being played out in their lives? Well, just like the good shepherd, the good shepherd knows his sheep. He sleeps with them. He walks with them. He feeds them. He plays music to them, perhaps. He might even start talking to them. The good shepherd knows his sheep. To know his sheep this well and for us to know one another so well, we need to be in relationship Brothers and sisters, are we in close relationship with one another where we could actually observe these things, where I could see and and feel you? That's why we are doing everything we can to remain connectivity to one another. That's why we long for the day where we could see one another. I mean, I was talking to the people outside today at 9 o'clock. I mean, Zoom has been phenomenal. It's been great. I thank God for it. But honestly... I could push mute or video mute and as I yell at my kids to keep it down in the background and then get back down and start speaking with a straight face. When we're together, we're able to see each other. You're able to see how I relate to my wife. You're able to see how I relate to my children and how I parent my children. You're able to see how I relate to other brothers and sisters. You can see this. Not just for me, but I can see you as well. That's what we value together is being able to see. So someday we long for that day. God willing, it'll be sooner. We long for that day when we could gather back together. This is important. But in the meantime, we're able to maintain relationships through our technology, through the apps, through the Zoom, through the live stream. We're doing what we can. And I applaud us for doing this. It seems like we're really being earnest in trying to do this. But let me just say this much. Brothers, if you see your brother in sin, look what Jesus says next. Go. He says, go and show him his fault in private. Guess what, brothers and sisters? You've just been deployed. You've just been deployed on this rescue mission trip. You are. You've been deployed. And, 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 and this is a hard task that you've been charged to do by our Lord. But here's the good news. All of us are armed or equipped with the power of the gospel. You're there offering up the full hope of restoration provided through the gospel. You're there to show them your full love and your care for the sheep that's lost. There is no more condemnation. There is no more shame. No longer have to feel guilty of what's been up. Just now you offer this full hope and full hope of restoration, which comes through the gospel message of Christ. We get to be reminders of God's love and grace to sinning brothers and sisters. And to remind them that they are children of God. Children of God. Just like any family, all children sin. (laughs) Me being one of them. But we never stop being sons and daughters to our parents, right? How much more God, how much more does God treat us when we sin against him? He's already proved to us how much he loves us by sending his son to die for us. Now I'm just going to give you a summary of the four steps that God gives us in this, uh, verses, uh, in, in this process here. Verse 15, 16, and 17. The first step is to go to them privately, one-on-one. And we're going to cover this point in depth today. The next step, if that doesn't turn out to restoration, is to bring two or three with you. Basically, you're recruiting more people on the rescue mission. Step three is if they don't listen to them, with obviously with time and much prayer, you bring it to the entire church. Now you recruit the whole church to come along the uh, the rescue mission. Fourthly, if that doesn't work, then you remove them, remove the covering of the church from them. And instead of treating them like brother or sister, you start treating them like friend. Because there may be some serious questions about their salvation. And most of the time, it ends up with step, step one is it. That's all you need. Step one is where 99% of these things should end. Right then and there. That your brother or sister loves you so much that you come to them and God graciously allows you to repent. And you're able to see the error of your ways. So, but next week, we'll cover steps two to four. Okay, but today, we're just going to cover step number one. Go to him in private, the Bible says. Step one. That word means go means go. Okay, that means you, we need to be proactive. We need to go out there. We can't wait for the sinning brother or sister to come to us. Just like the shepherd, he left the flock and went after that sheep. He was very proactive about it. He did not wait Or play it safe. You know, he didn't wait for the the lost sheep to come back. They're lost for a reason, right? Lost sheep need help. They may be stuck in a ravine. They may have a broken leg. They might be lying there, uh, dying, eating poisonous food. And plus, they're not like dogs. Dogs may be able to make it back home. These sheep, once they're lost, they're lost. And let me say this. Timeliness is very important how we respond. What do I mean by that? Timeliness, upon prayer, and upon the incident of the sin or sins occurring, it's easier to address these things while the clay is still soft. While the clay is still soft, while the incident is so fresh, you come to them lovingly. People, there's no fair dodging. They know this happened. But if you wait months, years go by. The same son that... Softens the wax, also hardens the clay. So, the more you wait, people could be blinded to the issue. People could be even hardened to the issue. And let me just say this much we're the light, we bring the light to them and make them aware of what's going on. So, the longer we wait, it may communicate an attitude of it's okay. It may communicate a, a, a culture of enabling or permissiveness so that when you do finally come, it's like, well, why didn't you come to me before? What was the big deal? Now, now that, why didn't you address it earlier? Hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. It's to show him his fault. This, in, 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 in essence, means shed light on the sin. Sheep have poor Depth perception, meaning they can't, it's hard for them to gauge things and how far they are from, from the sheep. So sheep may not be able to recognize where they're at, what they're doing, that they're, it is wrong. They're not even in the right area anymore. Same thing with sinning believers. Sinning believers may just be blinded to their issue. They may not see what the issue is. So that we need one another to help them get back home. Lost sheep need help. Turn with me to Galatians 6. I'm gonna, our Lord gives us clear instruction on in how to do this. And it, it's, just, it's more important than the how to. is kind of the heart behind it. Genesis, uh, uh, Galatians 6, New Testament, letter written by Paul. Galatians 6, 1 says this. Brethren, talking to the little ones, all of us, even if... Anyone, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, that's a sin. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Wounded sheep may have fallen and broken bones. Wounded sheep may have eaten poisonous plants as they're just lying there as their stomach is bothering them. They're sick. Wounded sheep may have been attacked by wolves and being bitten been bitten in the leg and bleeding. Sinning believers may have been broken right now because they're suffering through the consequences of their sin. Sinning believers may be sick and start thinking in worldly ways and start being pessimistic towards the world and towards the church because they're struggling in their sin. Sinning believers may have been attacked by wolves and under false teaching. So the shepherd needs to be gentle, coming to them, tender, nursing any wounds, being able to gently carry them back to the fold, to the flock. In like manner how the good shepherd treated Peter in John 21, he was very gentle with him. He didn't come with the whips, right? He had breakfast for him, breakfast. Let me take care of you, Peter. And let me gently ask you, do you love me? Three times. Jesus was very gentle. We're called to be gentle. Going on with Galatians 6, let's keep reading. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Look at that. There's a warning for those of us too who who approach others in their sin. We need to look at our own hearts so that we're not coming judgmental. We're not coming harsh. We're not coming prideful. We need to be gentle. Those who are spiritual. Much prayer. Much compassion, motivated by love, this is a very intricate process more than just how to do it, the x 's and O's of it, the heart behind it needs to be right. Turn with me to first Corinthians thirteen this is the love chapter. Turn to the left a little bit if you have your bibles first Corinthians thirteen so Paul I mean uh, Jesus tells us to go to the sinning brother in private. This communicates love. Look to look with me with uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7 here. Like the good shepherd, like how he came to Peter. Bible says at a verse 7, at a chapter 13, 1 Corinthians, love bears all things. What does that mean? As I studied into this word more bears, it means covers, provides covering. That, is, that This person coming to restore. This sinning brother or sister is not wanting to expose it, not wanting to to embarrass this person, wants to keep it confident. Hey, brother, it's between you and me and the Lord. I got your back. I just come here to care for you. Love bears all things or covers all things. Second thing, the Bible says, love believes all things. Believes all things. This means that you come to your sinning brother or sister and you, you you give them the benefit of the doubt. Surely there must be a misunderstanding. Surely there must be a a, a kind of an unusual circumstance. Maybe you got in a fight with your wife before coming to church and you're in a bad mood. Oh, I get there. I've been there too. Right? Surely. So you come there looking to understand instead of casting judgment already upon the situation. Third thing that 1 Corinthians 13 says, love hopes all things. That means that as you come to your brother or sister, you're hopeful that there will be restoration. You're not just going through the motions as, all right, check Jesus, I approach them, I address it, and that's it. No, you're hopeful that something good will come out of this. That this brother or sister will be restored back to its original form. Like Pastor Dan said, restored before, right? Back to how you knew him or her before they got distant, before they got Shallow. Before they got isolated, you bring them back. Welcome back, brother or sister. Remember the old days. This is how we want to have it. Love, hopes, all things. Something good will happen through this process. The fourth thing that Paul brings up in, in this love uh, verse is love endures all things. It's expensive, brothers and sisters, to enter into these conversations. It's absolutely expensive. This is one of the hardest things that I've been through. I love studying the scriptures. I I don't know if you could tell, but I actually love teaching and preaching the word of God. The counseling and the confronting of sin, this has been expensive in my life. It's been hard. It's been hard. Sometimes sheep bite back. You know, you may be accused of, 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 of being harsh, accused of being unloving, accused of being judgmental. So as you receive those things, let's make sure we take inventory. Is there any truth for that? But you may be falsely accused just because the sheep are wounded and they're they're hurting. This is expensive. This may cause you to have a lot of mind time on these things. And sometimes you come home, you're kind of grouchy because you're thinking about all this stuff all day. This is expensive. Are you willing to not play it safe as Jesus challenged the disciples and go there with people? This is important that we understand this. It could take years. It could take a year, take a year and a half of meeting with people on a regular basis. Every week, maybe. This is expensive. Bible says love endures all things. You persevere through this. You you have resolved to obey him in this. This is an expensive thing that the Lord is charging us to do. This is expensive. But here it is, verse 15. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. What a prize! What a treasure this is. You won your brother, like this precious, precious brother sisters back. Yes, the preciousness of the, I'm receiving this little one back into the fold. What a treasure! And the Bible talks about if you won your brother. What does that mean? What does it look like to win? a brother or sister back. It means there's repentance. That means this brother or sister openly says, yes, I own this sin. I repent to the Lord. I, I, I agree with God. I'm going to uh, reconcile with any brothers or sisters that I've offended. Yes. I'm going to turn away, repent, turn away from following after the sin and choose to follow Christ. Repentance. What winning is not is this, Remorse. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry about these consequences. I'm sorry how this is damaging my reputation. <laughs> That's not repentance. That's just remorse. They just feel bad. But there's, there's a change of direction. You could tell. They've been restored. All that green paint is off, right? Now you see that beautiful redwood in that person, right? And similar to Pastor Dan's, illustration sin is like that you start putting all kinds of disguises on you you start putting veneering your stuff with other things which aren't have nothing to do with Christ to make yourself feel okay and look okay but we lovingly scrape the paint off until we can see the natural beauty of what God has created us to be it's a worthy worthy mission and this is the good news like I said, 99% of the time, I don't have an exact study on this, but 99% of the time, this is where church restoration ends, right there. Step one, boom. If he or she repents, done. Hugs. It's over. It's done. No longer, no, no need to go to step two, three, and four. It's it. That's it. It's been forgotten. If you, as the one restoring that person, need to forgive, That's another step that you need to take. I need to forgive this sinning brother or sister. But in terms of that other person, it's, it's done. It's a wrap. Now let me just finish up here. Why do we go to church restoration? Why do we enter into this conversation? One, the Lord says to do it. This is his first instruction to how to care for the church. And really, what motivates this is what Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Love for Christ causes you to love the people that he loves. I love you, Jesus. Therefore, I care about these little ones that you have bought with your blood. Love is the motivation. Love. You care so much about your fellow brothers and sisters that you're willing to go there with them. Now this quote by Pastor John MacArthur has been very instrumental in my uh, ministry life. Writes, but discipline given in the right way expresses the deepest kind of love. A love that refuses to do nothing to rescue a brother from unrepentant sin and its consequences. This is godly love, he says. This is the type of love that, that allows you to go after someone, not to walk off the cliff. Here's the other type of love. Back to the quote. Love that winks at sin or that is more concerned for superficial calm in the church than for spiritual purity is not God's kind of love. Love that tolerates sin is not love at all but worldly and selfish sentimentality. And I'll I'll share this with you. I've talked to some people in our church family about church restoration and and the response I've gotten at times is, well, you know, we're Asian American. That just We just don't do those things. What? This is the head of the church we're talking about. Being Asian American, being black American, white American may describe us, and it certainly does, but it never defines us as little ones, as sons and daughters of God, as Christians. Christ Jesus is one who... Defines us. Therefore, the head of the church, we want to think like him. We put on the mind of Christ. And what would Jesus do? I get it. There may be some challenges and it's maybe awkward and maybe difficult, but no one said it was going to be easy. The good shepherd looking for that sheep, he has to go through ravines and rocks, climb up things. It's hard. It isn't a straight path to that lost sheep, it's challenging and it's expensive. Love, love is what motivates church restoration. Love, because we love Christ so much and we love one another. Let me give one point of application here. This rescue mission, church restoration, as we're preaching on this whole idea of church restoration, what did the Lord bring to mind? As you're listening to me right now, Has the Lord brought somebody to mind that you know is a sinning brother or sister and you need to have that talk with them? Do it. Prepare your hearts. Make sure you're gentle. Make sure you're motivated out of love. Make sure you pray for the right timing and then do it. Bible says go. Go. You're on that rescue mission. Go. Do it. And perhaps maybe you came to mind. Maybe you're that lost sheep that needs someone to go out and get you. Well, guess what? Jesus is coming after you. Jesus is coming after you through the sermon, and maybe a brother or sister will come reach out to you. But right now, you heard the word of God. Jesus is the good shepherd who's coming after you today. You're able to be restored. Repent of your sin. Give it up. Repent, agree with the Lord that you're in sin and receive the full restoration that needs to take place. Do it today. So next week we'll continue on with the uh, final steps of church restoration. But just remember this, brothers and sisters, Jesus loves you and me so much. He loves us so, so much much. This is what motivated our Lord to give this instruction, the first instruction to the church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to preach your word. Thank you Lord Jesus that you love us so much. Thank you Lord that you write these things, had these things written down so that we know how to take care of your church, the church that you built upon the rock, your rock, the who, the person of who you are. Father, I pray Lord that you will grow our relationships with, with one another here at Evergreen SUV. We will have deep meaningful discipleship relationships that are centered around you, where we all have the same goal or wanting to become like you more. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, church restoration will take place on a one-on-one basis, on a regular basis, and everything will be done in a spirit of gentleness, motivated out of our love for you and for others. Jesus, please make our church more holy. I know this matters to you so much. You paid for, with your blood to buy us. Jesus, I know you want to get what you paid for. Lord, please continue to beautify and restore your church here at Evergreen V. Help us to be holy as you are holy. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.